You're listening to the Tenuto Podcast presented by me, Kevin Lynch. Here we go! And it's another Tuesday here on the Tenuto Podcast where we are becoming our full value as music teachers. Every week, I am dedicated to bringing you a guest who is an expert or a first-year teacher in the field of music. And we talk to them about their strengths, what they're working on, all those kinds of things, giving you the most insight into being the best music teacher that you can possibly be. This week, we probably have our most famous guest that's ever been on the podcast is Brian Balmages. He talks a little bit about the pronunciation of his voice because many people call him Brian Balmages, and I've heard it many different ways. Um, and man, what a pleasure it was to talk to Brian. It's, it's really interesting because I took my band to King's Dominion this, this weekend. And King's Dominion is a local theme park here in Virginia. And I took my band there and we performed in front of three judges. And Brian Balmages happened to be one of the judges there, believe it or not. I had no idea it was going to be him. Um, and he had no idea that, that I was there. He didn't read the name on the director's list. But uh, I was No, with I wasn't Pools. even, I don't even look at the director names. I just look <laughs> at the fans. How funny is that? Yeah, so I was the guy with H.H. Pool. I conducted the first two. Which was funny. So we were in the same place. He judged my band, and we didn't even know uh, until the interview the next day. How about that? It was pretty funny. Uh, I mean, obviously, I knew after getting back the score sheets but um, it was really funny just talking to him about that. Now, the, the cool thing about it was our band actually won first place for the middle school bracket and for the best band at the park um, out of middle, elementary, and high school bands. So we, we won two first place awards. Uh, I was really thrilled about that. And listen, I know that those things are a business. I understand that those theme parks want everybody going home with a trophy some way or another Um, but I'll tell you what winning first place gave my kids what they needed it was the boost that they needed to feel like they had accomplished something this year and and they have I mean they've come such a long way and they deserve to feel good about themselves at the end of the year I was really really thrilled to see how happy they were after winning um, first place at the competition in King's Dominion. And I would take my band back there just because it's a competition and you're not guaranteed to win a trophy, but there's a good chance you will. And they want you to come back. So they're not going to be super hard on your band, but, uh, it was a great trip. Now let's talk about Brian Balmages because it's just a thrill to have him on this podcast. For those of you who have never heard of Brian Balmages, he's an award-winning composer, so he's all over. He writes for strings, he writes for bands, he's a conductor, a producer, and he's even a performer. Uh, He holds a bachelor's degree in music from James Madison University in Virginia, so that's probably why he was at the King's Dominion event, because he he does stay true to Virginia. Um, But he also has a master's degree from the University of Miami in Florida. 
His compositions have been performed worldwide at the state, national, and international level, and his active schedule of commissions and premieres has incorporated groups ranging from elementary schools to professional ensembles, including the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, Miami Symphony Orchestra, um, the Boston Brass, the Minion Brass Ensemble, it goes on. In 2012, Mr. Balmages, uh, Balmages sorry, received the prestigious Albert Austin Harding Award from the American School of Band Directors Association. Um, so, obviously, this guy is a very, very important person in the music world. He writes for for all levels of band. My bands have played tons of his music, and, and having him on the podcast was was just fantastic. So... Let's get into that interview, but before we get into it, I just need to admit to something, yes. Okay, we all make mistakes, right? But what I've been told, you know, is fall down seven times, stand up eight, whatever. So, at the beginning of the interview, I did call Brian Balmages, Brian Balmages, um, and yeah, it didn't, it didn't work well. But I'm going to go ahead and put that at the beginning of this interview so you can hear how he wants his name pronounced and, and so everybody knows. So here's Brian Balmages. All right, let's go. So I have Brian Balmages here. Um, he is a... Should we, should we... Hold on. Before you do that, should we clear up the pronunciation of my last name? <laughs> so the best way to say it is, is bow like pal and mages like pages. So if you say pal pages, then bow mages. Bow mages. So I have Brian Bow Mages here on the Tenuto podcast. Thank you so much for doing this interview. I'm so excited to have you on. Not a problem. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. Yeah, and and so you know I'm a middle school band director in Virginia, and I know that you have a lot of ties out here in Virginia. Um, you went to James Madison University. I just would you mind just telling my listeners your story after you graduated from James Madison? How did you get to become this prolific composer and and successful musician? Yeah, well, I um, when I was at JMU. I was a music industry major, and I always point out to people, I've actually never studied composition. Uh, oh. I just kind of wrote. And so people wow. don't know that. But um, I was a music industry major at JMU, and I was very engaged in uh, trumpet uh, performance at that point. Okay. And so everything I was doing at JMU was geared towards playing a trumpet and everything within the music industry program. And... Um, this gentleman by the name of Robert W. Smith was one of the heads of the music industry program. And so that's how I met Robert. Uh, and then uh, took some independent studies with him. Uh, we, we did a film scoring independent study. Uh, and then I did a second one of those with him. And just learned a lot from him in terms of uh, media writing, for, for lack okay. of a better word. Yeah. Um, and then uh, took his orchestration class with all of us uh, in, in the degree programs typically did that, and it's just something that I truly enjoyed. Um, when I when I finished at JMU, I left and went down to the University of Miami, partially because, again, I was interested in continuing this idea of media writing, and so I just got a degree down there uh, called Media Writing and Production, and they basically, okay. the same thing, it's, it's like a baptism by fire, they throw you into 
these situations where you just have to write and you've got to write on a deadline. And so I'll never forget the uh, the first day we did our intake where they were just, you know, you do your comps, not comps, but you do your entrance exams to see if you need any remedial work in different subjects. And uh, at the very end of that, this was on like a Sunday night or a Saturday, and at the very end of that, they handed out a lead sheet. And uh, this happened to be uh, Brian, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Everything I do, I do it for you. Um, okay. And okay. so, you know, the old Robin Hood thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And they handed out a lead sheet, and they said, you know, part of being in this industry of media writing means that you've got to be able to turn things around pretty quickly. So uh, we've given you a lead sheet to this, and uh, we look forward to receiving uh, your full work <laughs> arrangement of this tomorrow morning by noon. <laughs> wow. That's some serious. Wow, that's intense. It was intense. And so, you know, the point being, while I was down there, I just did a lot of writing. I wrote for, uh, I, I wrote rock stuff. I wrote heavy metal. I wrote psychedelic rock. I wrote for brass ensemble. Um, wrote radio um, uh, commercials and all kinds of stuff. And it was just really helpful to get all of that under my belt. Uh, and answer your question, how I got into this. Uh, while I was down there, Robert actually called me and asked me what I was doing. And I told him I was still playing, but I was in this program at Miami. And he said, well, there's a guy I want you to introduce uh, with you. And his name is Frank J. Hackinson. And, and Frank J. Hackinson is where FJH music comes from. He's okay. the owner. Wow. And uh, he said he's, he used to be uh, with Columbia Pictures. became CPP Bellwin. Uh, Frank did the deal to acquire Bellwin and uh, has since started his own company and was looking at getting back into the instrumental section of things and was looking for a guy to help get him off the ground. And Frank gave him my name, and uh, so we met. Frank was in Fort Lauderdale. I was in Miami and uh, hit it off, and the rest kind of became history. So it really was a question of being in the right place at the right time, although I would like to think that I was prepared when that opportunity came along, you know, had I yeah. not been able to write and that opportunity came along, it wouldn't really matter a whole lot. So right. I truly believe that all of us do have opportunities that come by, but if you have not prepared yourself to be able to walk through that door when it opens, then that's a missed opportunity. Right. Yeah. And I, I always hear that, that saying that luck is when opportunity and preparation meet or, or something along those lines. And it seems like that's what happened with you. Or you can't really say you got lucky because you were prepared and you were ready. Yeah. Well, and I also like to think that Robert called me because I I apparently made a, an impression on him. I would hope. Uh, yeah. When yeah, absolutely. At KMU, and so um, I I think that kind of led from one to another. And of course, my relationship with FJH now I don't think would be as strong as it was if I didn't help build them into the publisher that they are today either. So I right. think uh, you know, luck, sure. Um, uh, Preparation, sure, but then I think uh, on top of all that, performance. Uh, how do you perform mm -hmm. when you're put into those situations, when, when you have a, a, a commission or, or whatever it may be? How do you perform, and, and what does that tell people about your work ethic and going forward? So. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm looking at all your compositions right now. Um, I see you, you write for grade 0.5 to grade 5. Um, what inspires you to, to write? I mean, what... What gets you in the writing mood? I'm sure not all of the, the pieces you do are commissioned, right? Uh, no, only, I mean, only. I, I'd say about 
95 to you know, 95% or more of my pieces are commissioned. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's a very small amount that are not. Um, okay. The ones that are not are typically the result of uh, either going out to schools and feeling like there's a need for something that I haven't seen. Um, okay. And so that might turn into a piece. Um, this past year, um, people have been bugging me for years to do some kind of, you know, holiday piece. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't done one forever for, yeah. for bands. I just thought, you know what, maybe this is time. And I had this really fun idea for a fanfare that wasn't like a hokey medley or something. And so I just decided to, to do it. I, I had the idea and I ran with it. So um, inspiration from that typically will just come from something that I feel is lacking. I mean, I wrote a string piece years ago called Pepperoni Pizza. <laughs> it, or actually, it's called Pepperoni Pizza Rock. Okay. Um, and and uh, the reason that I wrote it was because my wife was joking around about teaching, you know, eighth notes and quarter notes, and she was doing pepperoni pizza. And uh-huh. this whole tune just popped in my head, and I just thought, I've got to write this piece. I've got to do it. Uh, <laughs> and so I wound up writing a rock chart. And, uh, and, and of course, you, you pour yourself into these pieces. and uh, Yeah, you write absolutely. You massive works of art, and then that's the year that pepperoni pizza rock outsells all of my blood and tears and soul gut-wrenching music. And, and <laughs> You know, it just shows you sometimes how things work. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Wow, um, that's amazing. And so your wife teaches music as well. Well, she used to. Um, okay. She used to be an elementary band and orchestra director. And and I tell people that's one of the main reasons that I got into writing for younger groups to begin with. I, I when I was in college and even slightly after, all I was writing for was uh, groups that I was playing in. So groups like the Miami Symphony. Um, a lot of, you know, the, the JMU Wind Ensemble, I wrote some sure. things uh, sure. down in Miami. Um, mm-hmm. When I was playing out in Los Angeles, I wrote for the Henry Mancini Institute Orchestra. Uh, and so, uh, but then she started teaching, and it got me really interested in trying to write things that still sounded like me, but were playable by much younger kids. And to be honest, I, I really feel like I failed pretty miserably at first. Um, it mm-hmm. took me a while to understand how to still be me yet at uh, a more achievable grade level, something that was more approachable by younger players. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Do you, about uh, your, your your titles, do you come up with the title before or after you write out the piece? Uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. Um, yeah. No, some pieces are very driven by their titles. There are pieces mm-hmm. that I've written that, that the title, I know exactly what the what the title is, and that drives the entire subject of the piece. Um, yeah. There are some pieces that I'm writing where I really have a, a, an amazing idea in mind, and I'm really just drive, you know, driving with this idea, um, but I don't know the title yet. And, and you know, it would almost be like asking Mahler, what came first, the music or the title Symphony Number no. 1? Right, right. You know, um, it, so that was not really title-driven. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so there are those pieces of mine that are not so title-driven. You know, I wrote a piece for strings that was highly rhythmic, uh, and and it 
but it was based on different composers that I had experienced and was kind of fusing them together. And the title of the piece became Rhythm Dances because that's really what it felt like to me. But yeah. I could only title that piece after I was done. So I would say it's a 50-50 split. Sometimes it's the title and sometimes it's the music. Right. Okay. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Um, and so you, you also wrote for the Measures of Success method books. What was that experience like? That was very intense, um, to say the least. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's 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 like a jigsaw puzzle when you're putting those things together. Because yeah, I can imagine. You wanna you wanna write this note for the flute? Oh, but the horn can't play that note yet. And you wanna write this note for trumpet? Oh, but the clarinets can't get up there yet. And so it it's a big jigsaw puzzle. Um, you know, it was an incredible experience to team up with the people that I did. And so. Um, you know, Deb Sheldon is, is such a guru when it comes to music education. Um, and Tim Lowe is a, just a master teacher at that level. Yeah. He yeah. really understands it. Um, and then another huge plus for me was to have David Collier involved, who's mm-hmm. our percussion person. And, yeah. and David teaches at um, Illinois State and uh, brought such a wealth of information about percussion. I learned more about writing for percussion in that book than I ever had ever um yeah just techniques way to hold things um how how to notate roles and how to teach people to play roles and that played a big role in no pun intended uh, <laughs> but that played a big part in um in the way i began writing for percussion for younger players um yeah. realizing that yeah. there are certain things that i can do to teach them sticking patterns that they're going to be more successful with as they go on in the future oh wow yeah and so yeah that was a huge it was a huge thing and a big experience. Um, I was also the production manager of that series, so basically okay. the project leader. So I coordinated everything and proofread everything. So you can imagine going through two volumes where you have 19-some books per volume. Uh, I mean, two volumes alone would produce 38 books. Um, yeah. And, and so... Uh, intense. Uh, each one of those books needed a fingering chart. Each one of those books needed uh, an index. Each oh my one gosh! Of those books yeah. Needed, needed uh, an assembly page uh, specific to that instrument. So it was it was an, a, a massive amount of work. Uh, but I feel like I um, I grew a lot because of it. Yeah, yeah. I was I talked to Charlie Mangini <clears throat> Mangini from. Vandercook College, and he wrote on the Essential Elements books, and just hearing him talk about how much work that they put into it, and then they put in so much work, like, every given day, and felt like they had almost gotten nothing done, and it, it seems like methods yeah, well, take so long. And, and with them, uh, I don't know if Charlie told you this or not, but a lot of this was just, like, these daily meetings where they would all just get together and just yeah. hammer out, you know, a bunch of stuff, and we did a couple of those. Uh, where mm-hmm. we just get together and, and work on a bunch of music. I, I was the lead composer on the method book. So very often what would happen is uh, Deb Sheldon and I would initially get together and come up with a uh, an outline for, for each opus. You know, it's divided into opuses um, so that we can really target a certain number of, of, of skills uh, for, yeah. uh, for, for each chapter or opus. And so we would come up with a predefined, okay, this is what we want them to learn in this opus. And this is about the order. And then I would just take it and run with it. 
I would go yeah. back to my studio and write for two or three days and send stuff to her, or I would write by hand while I was right there with her, just just literally by hand, pencil and paper, and then um, send out notes like, hey, I need a folk song and a key of E flat that uses a quarter A syncopation. Yeah. I need this, I need that, and get all that. But I would assemble everything and then fire it to Deb and fire it to Tim, and they in turn would rip it apart and say, oh, this is not moving too fast. We need to prep this. We need to do that. Um, and so uh, the majority of, of measures of success was written in a Panera in Delaware, which is <laughs> the halfway meeting point between Deb Shelton and I. Oh, my gosh. It's so it's so crazy to hear all these stories and how, how much goes into all of this. That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah, and I had a lot of half-and-half half, uh, pick-two uh, meals. <laughs> That's funny. I was actually just at Panera. Um, but, okay. Did, so... did you happen to write a method while you were there? <laughs> no, I did not oh. write a method book. But You, should, you, know, you should try it. <laughs> <laughs> seems like a successful place to be for writing method books. Um, oh, I lost my trainer. Okay. So um, band directors seem like, I mean, for me, it seems like I don't have a lot of time. But, I mean, I, I just hear all the things you do. What is, how do you manage your time successfully? Because that's uh, something I'm I, sure I, you I have to, to deal with, with family. I and, try to switch, yeah. I mean, I try to switch time zones as much as possible. I find that helps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I, you know, I really do my best to, uh, you know, with my, uh, with my family, I've got uh, an 8-year-old and 11-year-old boy right now. And so that really becomes the absolute focus of everything that I do. Um, yeah. And and so that really, I really try to make my life revolve around them. Um, I do a lot of travel, obviously, but I cap it. Uh, and so... Uh, I will not be gone. Uh, there are plenty of composers that are doing what I do that, uh, are, and conductors that travel every weekend, you know, eight weekends out of the, you know, in a row. Yeah. I won't yeah. do that. You know, I typically will limit it two weekends, and then that third weekend I'm home. Yeah. Uh, or if it's a really big thing, then it's like, okay, well then I got, I'm going to go on a vacation with them, or, or plan it that way. Um, right. You yeah. know, I do have the luxury of, you know. Even though I work for FKH, I work from home. And that mm-hmm. gives me a, a lot of flexibility. So when, when the kids are at school and my wife's at work, I have this big chunk of time. And I will say there there are some days where a commission is due where the entire day is just spent writing. Yeah. Um, there are other days where I'm between pieces and the entire day is spent, uh, spent prepping uh, or editing or getting ready for a recording session that I have coming up that I've got to conduct. Yeah. Um, so I try to manage my time in blocks, but unlike organizing a day where today my first half of my day is going to be spent doing this, my second half, I'm just never very good at that. So for me, I, I usually will kind of look at a week and say, okay, this week I've got to get this piece finished, and I've got to get this piece into FJ for editing. So that becomes a goal, and then I try to set smaller goals throughout the day, uh, which which help me obviously ultimately achieve that. But it's really about looking at each individual piece of the puzzle and and figuring out well, how much time do I need to complete that and what's the best way to do that and then how can I do that while keeping these other things going because 
You're right. There are a lot of things going on, and, and just trying not to take on too much at one time. Yeah, yeah, and that can be tricky, but it seems like you you do it well. Um, I so, try. Yeah. If you could go back in time and you could visit Brian Balmages, who graduated from James Madison, if you could give him one piece of advice, what would you say? You know, it's always a it's a tough question. Um, yeah, it is a tough question. I, I think there's there's a couple ways to look at this, you know. But I would have loved to have told him to um, take a uh, percussion techniques class while he was still in okay. college. Yeah. And because I, I I've always wished that I had developed, and of course I'm learning now. But I wish I had developed more knowledge about extended percussion techniques, uh, about different instrumentations, uh, different things like that. I think I would have told him to do a lot more of that. And I think I would have started listening to a lot more music much earlier than I did. Okay. Um, I, I really listened to the music that I was playing in band and orchestra. But I really didn't start diving into the, the repertoire of both band and orchestral, chamber, anything, uh, until much later after I graduated. And I, and I really wish I had started to develop a much broader uh, repertoire while I was still in college. Yeah. Okay. Hey, that's a great answer. And I ask that question to everybody, and everybody has a different take on it. And I really I really like your approach to that. So yeah, that's it, pretty it much... Mine's the best, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely up there. Definitely up there. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so uh, that's the end of our interview. We're going to do a real quick rapid-fire session where I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions, and I just want you to answer with the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I'm a little nervous, but I'm going to get over it, and I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to clear my mind. All right. All right. Let's go. What is your dream vacation? Oh, my dream vacation? Uh, I would say Maui. Maui. Okay. What What has been your favorite vacation that you've taken? Oh, wow. Honolulu. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, if you could put a quote on a billboard for everybody to see, what would it be? Stop staring at a screen and live your life. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I was just at King's Dominion on Friday, and there were these two kids on the carousel on their phones. It's just disappointing, you know? And I can uh, mention that, of course, I was at King's Dominion on Friday, too, actually listening to your band. Not getting a chance to meet you, but I yeah. can also full disclosure mention that I did just record a video with Terry Austin oh. on the carousel using my phone. So I did just break my billboard. <laughs> Man, wow, interesting. Going back on your quote. Okay, I would I would love to see that video. By the way, that's pretty funny. Um, okay, if you could get a beer with any composer or musician, living or dead, who would it be? John Williams. Oh, that is awesome. That's really cool. 
what would be the first thing you, that you ask him? I would just want him to talk, uh, and, and I wouldn't even ask him anything in particular. I would just want to hear stories and yeah. talk to him about his experience crossing over between movies and stage um, yeah. and, and the concert hall. That's one of the things that I respect about him the most is the way he orchestrates for, and the way he writes for movies, but that at the same time, he crosses over into the concert hall so well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what was the last book that you read? The last book that I read was Red Rising, book three. Oh. The, the last book of the Red Rising trilogy. Okay. Interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Never. It's a good, it's a very fun sci-fi thing, and I, I, was, I was brain fried, and I was just looking for something outside the box. Sure. Um, what is your go-to comfort food? Chocolate chip cookies. Mm, absolutely. Last last question. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Awesome. Preferably a, uh, a flat white. <laughs> a soy flat white with one raw sugar in it typically. Although I like the way they make them in Australia much more than I like the way they make them here in the U.S. A little yeah, more information I'll have to that, you want. that all came sure. to my mind. <laughs> I'll have to remember that the next time I'm in Australia, for sure. There you but, go. Uh, I'll be there in a month, so I'm looking forward to it already. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so, so much. I can't tell you how amazing this was. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right, and what a thrill it was to have Brian Balmages here on the podcast. Um if you like what you're hearing here, please go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and also go ahead and like our Facebook page. I'm posting there once a week just on who the guest is of the week, and we have a variety of guests from first-year teachers to veterans to famous composers like Brian Balmages. so please stay tuned for that, and have a great, great Tuesday, guys. I'll see you next week.